and welcome to the American Male Spouse Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Smith. This week, I had the chance to talk with Diana Matuzak. She is an influencer, holistic wellness coach, and best-selling author of the book, To Kale and Back. She currently lives in Italy with her husband. Diana has a heart for holistic wellness, and she talks with us about overcoming her own struggles with disordered eating, as well as her passion for advocating to others, dealing with similar experiences. She shares some tips with us about sustainable health, and she also tells us a little bit about what it's been like living in Italy in the midst of 2020 craziness. You can check out theamericanmalespouse.com as well as the show notes for details on where to buy Diana's book, her Instagram info, as well as a link to her website. Let's get started. My name is Diana. I'm originally from a really small town in northern Michigan, and now I live in northern Italy with my husband. I am a lover of all things holistic health, self-improvement, stuff like that, and I am a blogger and influencer. That sounds like an amazing place to live. I'm so jealous. Oh my gosh, it is, especially this year. (laughs) Well, yeah. How long have you been there? We got here in the middle of December um, this past year. Yeah, we moved from Alamogordo. We left there in like November and we sort of had a month and a half-ish long of like our honeymoon saying goodbye to our family for a while. And then we got here December, mid-December, right before Christmas. Okay. How's it been there with all the coronavirus craziness and everything? Oh my gosh. Well, the beginning of it was absolutely wild because number one, we don't speak Italian. (laughs) So it was, we were just very reliant on the base to tell us what's going on and what we need to do. and So it went from everyone being like, oh, it's nothing, whatever. It's fine. Because Italy, if you remember, was the second country to really get it badly after China. So we were all like, oh, whatever, it's fine. It's not going to be that bad. And then the next day, pretty much, it was very quickly, we were told we had to stay at home for indefinitely till whenever um, Mm -hmm. they told us that we could leave, which was wild, obviously. And during that time, it was crazy because obviously government is different over here. So Mm -hmm. the rules sort of look a lot different than they do over in America, And of course, I can only speak from my experience on that. But I mean, there was a time where I wasn't even allowed to leave my house because Mm -hmm. I, we couldn't go for walks. I wasn't allowed to use my yard because it's a shared yard. We had, there was actually drones outside of our house, making sure that no one was like leaving when they weren't supposed to. There were checkpoints to make sure that you were not going anywhere you weren't supposed to. You could get really heavily fined if you were in the wrong area. And it was wild (laughs) for a while. Yeah. Yeah. How long did that go on for? That was, so it was really strict as in could not leave my house for like three weeks. Okay. Um, And then outside of that, it was about three months where I could only go I, if I remember right, it was like 100 meters from my house, which is wow. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Yeah. So That's it was crazy. a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were allowed to travel around our region back in like mid May. Okay. Is when I started to lift. Yeah. Okay. Is and it, it started in February? <laughs> yeah. Right. Is it, which had to be crazy, especially just getting there 
to, oh, yeah. it, you weren't even, you were just learning, like you said, even just not knowing the language, learning like where things are. And then all of a sudden for all that to happen is crazy. Oh, and we were so lucky because I don't know if you know much about this space, but it's really difficult to find a house. Oh, okay. And we were actually really lucky, but the people who lived in our house before us weren't moving out until the end of January. Okay. So we didn't even move into our house until a week before all of that stuff happened, which thank God we did. Otherwise, that would have been crazy. But right. yeah, it was oh gosh. nuts. <laughs> is it pretty, what is it like now? Is it mostly back to normal for you? Yes and no. I mean, we can go, we can travel to what's called like the green countries. I think it's the same in America, mm -hmm. except, well, same. not the same, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, a, we're a whole different kind of mess over here. Right right. <laughs> yeah, uh, but there's, there's green countries, yellow countries, and red countries. So Italy is green, and then we are allowed to travel to other green countries, okay. meaning you don't have to do anything. We just, there's distancing, you have to wear masks everywhere. A lot of like restaurants or museums or whatever have things set in place so that you cannot be closer than two meters apart. Mm. Okay. So it's all, that part is almost normal to me now, which is yeah. really weird. <laughs> yeah. No, I know um, what you mean. It's like this weird sort of reaction I'll have if I notice, like when you see pictures of big crowds or something, it's like we've, how quickly you can be conditioned to be like, danger, danger, you know, it's, yeah. it's weird how quickly. Oh, it was yeah. so weird. Um, on Sunday, my husband and I actually got back from, we went to Scotland for the week. Awesome. And we were walking through the airport and it was so normal to see everyone with a mask. And I saw a guy without a mask and I was like, oh, weird. He doesn't have a mask on. Yeah. Has that been pretty much, it's been adopted seamlessly for everyone over there. Obviously here it's the great divide. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it, it has. And I think that is because of the difference in governmental structure, not that I wanted to get into politics or whatever, but mm -hmm. no one really questions authority here. Right. Whether that's good or bad doesn't matter. So it's just normal. Yeah. 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 We had uh, a friend and I were just talking about that with when the, when the masks, when those mandates first started coming out, when we were at Edwards, how quickly, when you're on a military base, everyone is just like, okay, because it's just, they tell you to jump and you jump and that's just kind of the way that your lifestyle is and so for us it was just that's what we started doing and so then it took some time before throughout the country other people weren't weren't quite as quick to oblige but now we're just in this weird stalemate we're, we'll see what happens I guess <laughs> but I'm glad that it's like mostly normal and especially that you can start to do some of the traveling. I'm sure you were so excited to do going over, there, especially from Gordo, but just in general to go over there and travel. Awesome. Oh yeah. I mean, our wild weekends in Gordo was driving an hour to El Paso, Texas. Yeah. Sure. So, I believe it. Like, How long were you guys in Gordo for? We were only there for a little less than a year. We got there in February of 2018. 18, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like forever ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> this year is like a non-year for so many of us. It's ridiculous. Oh, so it's crazy. We already are. But yeah, so you were just there briefly. And so was that the first place that you 
lived with your husband? Yeah. So that was the first base that I moved to with him. Okay. We, I probably should have moved to Columbus. It's just that dragged out a lot longer than we expected it to. Yeah. But yeah, Alamogordo was the first one that we actually moved in together. Okay. And what does he do? He's a F-16 pilot. Very cool. Yeah, that's one thing that's different for us. So my husband, he's now a test pilot, but he flew Strike Eagles. Technically, I guess still does for the test world now, but it's so different because there's really just three bases for it. And so the 16, there are so many. And I remember that being the thing where it's like so many kind of on both sides. I feel like ours are, there's not really a bad base for the Strike Eagle. And then I feel like for the 16, there's these incredible options and these like less <laughs> incredible options. <laughs> it's like a much more broad spectrum, but. Oh yeah, it's so polar. And I didn't realize when we got F-16s, obviously wouldn't change it for the world. He mm -hmm. is so happy. I'm so proud of him. But I didn't realize that there's literally one active duty base in America for the oh. F-16. Yeah, outside the CFIs. Where is that? It's at Shaw in South Carolina. Okay, yeah, I don't think I would have really processed that either. No, I didn't even think of it. And uh, that has been changing from my understanding, it's changed quite a bit in the past few years. Okay. What base or what? Now with the F-35, they're kind of phasing into each okay. other. But yeah, that, I mean, our drop night for B course, I was like, we're, we could go to Korea, we could go to Italy, we could go to South Carolina. And yeah. then of course, we could also go to a guard base, which you could literally go anywhere. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah. So in Almogordo, was that for training then? Or is that a base? Yeah. Okay. It, it's for B course. Is Got it. Yeah, so okay. it's just a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, got it. Which is kind of nice. I guess if you're going there, you know, it's it's brief. That's it. anything with the military is temporary, but. <laughs> right. Yeah, when people are like, oh, it's so short. It's only five years. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's so that's, long. I've never lived somewhere for five years <laughs> since I left my parents' house. Five years sounds like a lifetime. Right. We have my, my husband's done a number of different trainings. So I was realizing the other day, my daughter, her youngest is two, and she's already lived in three different states. <laughs> Oh so it's, it's crazy their their lifestyle and the things that they just adjust to but yeah it is yeah, yeah. And, and it can be such a blessing as if you look at it in that way I mean mm -hmm. the kids here are pretty much fluent in Italian and I can hardly say what my name is so That's so true did your husband have to do any kind of like language training or anything beforehand or no no, um, when you get here, everyone goes to a welcome briefing that's a couple days long where you learn the different laws um, that are a lot different than America and kind of going through things like that. But mm -hmm. I actually am starting Italian class on Friday. Oh, cool. Uh, and hoping to learn for both of us. <laughs> so. There you go. <laughs> right. I mean, really, because that has to be a challenge once you're really kind of trying to immerse yourself beyond days. It will. It was funny because obviously in Scotland they speak English mm -hmm. and it was so weird to be able to overhear people's conversations. We were like, I oh, know sure. what they're saying. <laughs> That's a good point though. I feel like you suddenly don't realize that you just get used to it being completely no idea what's going on around you pretty much. Yeah. I mean, pretty much signs, everything. I'm like, I don't know. Let's I remember just even just studying abroad and we went to France like briefly and I took French in high school, but you know, eh. And it was science is the biggest thing that I felt impacted by it during that short trip where you're trying to take the, the public transportation and say, if there's not an arrow, then I don't know, because right. <laughs> I have no idea what any of this means. So. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. A lot of the local people can tell 
I mean, I'm blonde, so it's like I stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> yeah. If they try to talk to you and you like take more than a few seconds to answer, they're like, oh, you speak English? I'm like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Shifting gears a little bit. Can you tell me about your blog and your book to Kale and Back and just that whole process? Yeah, absolutely. So it all kind of started when I was in college. I made a fitness Instagram okay. um, <laughs> that was actually secret. I didn't tell anybody about it. I didn't have my name on it. And it was just because I really liked working out. I really liked health. I really was interested in learning all about that stuff. And I just wanted to connect with other people who felt the same as me. And I had just gotten out of a relationship that was very much so not meant for me. And it was kind of like an outlet for me to like, I don't know, uh, think about something else, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so sort of a long story short, through creating that account, I had realized that I was way more extreme in everything I was doing okay. than I ever thought I could be. I, I mean, I used to joke about like, oh, I could never have an eating disorder. I love food way too much. And mm -hmm. then there I was in college and I was struggling with two forms of extremely dis disordered eating, horrible relationship with my body image body dysmorphia, all of these things. And so when I was in college, I was actually studying accounting and economics. And I started my career in that realm of things, but I knew that I really wanted to do something in the wellness world because by the time I graduated college, I was on my way out of that disordered eating. And that those years are obviously... I mean, I could talk for hours about everything that happened in that time, but yeah. So by the time I was leaving college, I knew that eventually I wanted to work in the wellness world because I was just so passionate about real health and real fitness and okay. the fact that it's not like it just because you have abs doesn't mean you're healthy and mm -hmm. mental health is just as important, if not more important than physical health. Mm -hmm. So in that process of trying to figure out how I wanted to go about that, I thought that maybe I would work in the accounting department for some sort of wellness company, okay. you know, something like that. And in my research for looking for a degree in nutrition, dietetics, whatever I thought I was going for, I ended up finding the Health Coach Institute, which is where I got certified. I have three different certifications as a holistic health coach, and I quit my job in the accounting at the accounting firm. I started my own holistic health business, which is when I started my blog as well. I really marketed myself locally as well as on social media. And a year or so after that, I decided to write my book and now I'm more of a lifestyle with an emphasis on wellness blogger, which if you read my book, you can kind of get that that's my vibe. Mm -hmm. And yeah, here we are today. <laughs> and can you talk, you touched on it a bit, but I know from as much of your book as I've had a chance to read so far, which is such a fun book. I highly recommend it. I love the way you write and I just feel like we're pals before we're even talking just because <laughs> I love your delivery. So, oh, and I, I know we mentioned it and I'll mention it a bunch of times, but it's called To Kale and Back and you can get it on Amazon is where I got it. But in there, you talk a bit about it, but can you tell me more 
about that journey from focusing on the physical and the working out to it being more about self-acceptance and not so much the outward appearance. Yeah, absolutely. So when I went into college, in high school, I was always a very, I, I guess, normal weight. I didn't really, I wasn't ashamed of my body. I was very confident. I wasn't perfect by any means. I didn't have abs, none of that, but I was a very confident person. And even through freshman year, I was always like that. But at the end of freshman year, I had put on the freshman 20 that I swore I would never do. I think that we all do that. (laughs) We're all left to our own devices. I don't think there's any way of really underestimating how much I didn't notice I ate what my mom gave me until I could eat what I want. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I agree. Who knew a frozen yogurt machine could be so detrimental? (laughs) Yes, yes. I always joke, I have this vivid memory. It's like my favorite meal. I would make instant mashed potatoes and put corn in it and A1 sauce because I was some kind of animal and just eat bowls of that. And then it was like my favorite food. And like, that's apparently how mature I was when I got sent off to college because that was in my mind, sustenance. And sounds good. So <laughs> I'm not going to say I wouldn't still eat it, but yeah. yeah. Like a KFC bowl without the chicken. Exactly. It's so true. And then when that came out like really shortly after, and I was, that's what I said. I was like, see, it's the thing. Cause my friends all yeah. thought it was crazy. You were just ahead of the trend. Totally. Totally. But yeah, completely lawless and out of control so yeah I completely relate to that right yeah yeah so I gained a solid amount of weight and I should say that when I was younger this is a also a very important piece of my story when I was younger I had insulin resistance syndrome which is basically like type 2 diabetes and I learned at a very young age about food and I had a very disordered thought processes about food when I was a child as well. I just didn't realize that I did. In what ways? So when I was in middle school, I was, I weighed more when I was in sixth grade than I do now. And it just, one day I woke up and I was like, I don't like the way I look. I think I'm fat. I'm not pretty. I wonder if people are making fun of me. Maybe they were, they probably were, honestly, I went to a very small school. People were very judgmental and I just decided I didn't want to be like that anymore. So I would read in 17 magazine, like how to work out, how to eat. And I, to this day have no idea how I came up with this, but I would count on my hand how many times or how many things I had eaten that day and I wouldn't let it get past five. Wow. And I was, you know, 12. Like yeah. my parents absolutely did not teach me that. My mm-hmm. sister absolutely did not teach me that. I have no idea how mm-hmm. I came up with yeah. that. And I talk a lot about that phase of my life in my book, just because I think it's so common mm-hmm. and nobody talks about it. And it, really makes me angry that there are seven-year-olds out there who are on a diet and don't understand that that's bad. Right, right. That's something that even our girls are so young, but just starting, you know, they know what what treats are and that kind of thing. And I was fortunate to not have dealt with that at a young age, but I'm already 
trying to be careful about the messaging I send and about what is junk food and what is bad. And, you know, it's, and then like you said, it doesn't even come from, in your case, doesn't come from your parents, doesn't come from your family. There's just so many outside influences that who knows where you got that idea, but it's just so common and so easy for I think girls especially, but to just be so focused on that so early and that's heartbreaking. It's, I think it's heartbreaking as a grown-up who quite frankly still deals with that. I think so many of us, that is when I really think how much of my inner voice is thinking about appearance and what I'm eating and exercise. It's, it's sad. And the idea that that starts as young as I think it really does is especially sad. Yeah. And I mean, in my opinion, it's terrifying because Mm -hmm. I mean, my niece is four. And if I think back to the first time that I thought like that, I mean, I wasn't that much older than her and Mm -hmm. like, what? Right. Right. (laughs) That is awful. And that's a huge reason that I wrote the book anyway, just because I think coming from someone that is my age, I really wanted to touch on girls who are in college and young women and I mean, really any woman, obviously, but that is who I really wanted to speak to because I think that especially my generation, we were pounded growing up and most of us probably did have those sorts of thoughts at a terrifyingly young age. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the reasons I felt called to write the book. So yeah. So, I mean, I've struggled with that my entire life. I've struggled with weight. I've struggled with disordered eating. I've struggled with body image issues my entire life. And in college, it really spilled over and was really bad. I should have gotten therapy. I should have gotten help in some way, but I was never really strong enough. I actually was, my ego was too big. And I told Mm -hmm. myself that I should be able to get out of it by myself. And I still have those disordered eating thoughts. I just know them better now and I see them for what they are and I do everything that I know to not give into them yeah in college it really got out of hand and I realized it in the middle of college when I was in a relationship that was very unhealthy very not for me he definitely added to my disordered eating I don't think that well I don't know. I guess I don't know what was going through his head. I don't think that that was his goal, but it definitely happened. And through all of that, I lost my friends. I didn't have the closeness with them that I did before. I had nobody to turn to. I was afraid to talk to my mom about it. I finally, after a few years, told my mom and my best friend about one of them that I struggled with really, really hard because I just decided there was no, I was as rock bottom as rock bottom can get in my mind. And I finally told them and I invested every ounce of energy that I had into making myself better. And by the end of college, I, I mean, I was a completely different person in a better way. I was not fully healed yet, I don't think. But I was so much better and I was so passionate about sharing what happened to me because 
Well, number one, I went to an all girls college. I went to St. Mary's at Notre Dame, which mm-hmm. back in the day when Notre Dame was all boys, we were the girls side and they went mm-hmm. co-ed and we didn't. So I was surrounded by thousands of girls doing mm-hmm. the same thing that I was, but everyone calling it normal. And it's mm-hmm. not normal. It, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can swear on this, but that's how I feel about it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I really wanted to do something in the world to give back and help people not go what I went go through what I went through or help other people who they know who are going through it and so that's when I knew I wanted to work for some sort of wellness company whatever that looked like and I ended up becoming a holistic health coach and I know you would ask me what that journey looked like for me to body acceptance and all of that mm-hmm. and I don't want to say that I found it because I don't think that I have, but Mm -hmm. I also see myself as a child of God. I am a religious person and I, I don't hate myself. I don't look in the mirror and absolutely hate what I see. I don't think it's perfect, but I also don't think I'm wanting to be perfect because I want to, to me now being healthy is being happy it's loving your life. It's doing things that make you happy. It's mm-hmm. feeding your body in a way that makes you feel really good to live your life and to live a fulfilled, joyous, fill in the blank, abundant life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest difference in me now and also what I try and teach in the book. Mm-hmm. And with that, what are some of the ways that you recommend? Because I know for me, and I think most people we've tried how many different things different ways oh I'll count calories I'll not eat until this time I'll stop eating at this time whatever the case may be and anything is fun well you know for a few days while it's new what do you recommend for just creating habits that are sustainable and making that lifestyle making that shift to change the way that you're thinking about all of that I would say two major things are the only things that I would focus on, especially at first until it's really a lifestyle change, which I know that that's such a trendy phrase and probably overused, but it's true. The first thing would be to really concentrate and focus on why you're doing it. Like, why do you want to lose weight? Why do you want to look a certain way? why do you think that diet is great for you? And it's usually something like, well, I want to be more confident. Okay, great. Why do you want to be more confident? Do you want to perform better at work? Do you want to speak up for yourself at work? Do you want to start dating again? Do you want to be able to have children? Do you, you know, just want to be happier? Do you want to have more energy? Do you want to sleep better? Do you want to be a better wife, partner, sister, and really, really focus on why you are doing this because though the body is a side effect and I think aesthetic goals are not bad if you're looking at them in the correct way, but there's a reason that you want that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason that you want to look a certain way and what is that? Mm-hmm. And that's what's actually gonna keep you going when you want to give up. It's what's going to help you not have the chocolate cake for the third day in a row, or it's going to help you to work out because you know that's actually what's best for you. So that would be my number one. And then the number two, and this is a big thing that I 
worked with my clients on right out of the gate. It was actually the first thing that we did. I never took anything out of their diet right out of the gate. It was, what can you add to your diet? So can you have vegetables at every meal? Can you have four liters of water? Can you add a walk to your day? Can you focus on adding more colors to your plate? Just focusing on what you get to do or get to have instead of focusing on taking away all these mm-hmm. things that you love because mm-hmm. that's just going to make it suck. Right. <laughs> and you want to make it fun. So mm-hmm. that's a great, that's a great thought because I know that that's something that isn't typically the instruction. It's stop eating that, stop eating that. And that's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants yeah. to stop eating cheese. But. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so many of those diets where it's like, don't eat this, don't eat that. Yes, there's scientific ed- evidence behind certain things that mm-hmm. maybe that is what's right for you. But if someone told you to stop eating cheese because that's going to make you lose 30 pounds, that's stupid because maybe your body works really well with dairy and mm-hmm. cheese has nothing to do with it. Right. Then why are you going to cut it out if you love it? You know, and that pertains to everything that's gluten, that's grains, that's dairy, that's Mm -hmm. all of those things. For some people, they affect them a lot more than others. So when you focus first on, well, why am I doing this? Well, I want to feel better. Okay, great. So maybe I can find a functional nutrition doctor or a hormone specialist or a health coach or somebody who can help me figure out what makes me feel my best and Mm -hmm maybe you don't have to cut anything out. Maybe you have to cut dairy, gluten, and alcohol out. Who knows? But when you're actually looking at it from the perspective of, I'm doing this because I want to be happy and I want to feel good and I want to live my best life, then it's a lot easier to cut out those things because you're like, well, that makes me feel like shit. That makes me break out. That makes me, you know, have yeah. XYZ. And I want that. And you said, because that, that is something that really fascinates me. And I personally have PCOS. So there's a lot of general guidance about that, about things like gluten and dairy, especially. And I know, admittedly, I'll kind of know it's probably better to not have in vague terms. But like you said, because I really don't know specifically what affects me how at this point, it's really easy to be like, it's actually probably fine. (laughs) I'm probably not the one who needs to not eat cheese or not eat gluten or whatever. So tell me more about um, what you were just recommending about ways to sort of find that out. Because for me, obviously I've read about like Whole30 where you kind of take it all out and then slowly put it back and see what are some other ways to just learn more about your body and how you react to things or what's good for you versus someone else. Yeah, um, there's honestly so many different ways, but one of my favorites is just journaling about what you're eating. Okay. And I know that sounds kind of crazy and weird, but it is so, so helpful. But I do want to say if someone has, if they're struggling with their relationship with food, if they're afraid of food, if they're very hyper-focused on food, mm-hmm. that is not the route that I would go. Absolutely not. But for people who don't struggle in that way, I think journaling about what you're eating is a great way to do it. I actually have a free download on my website where you can write down what you eat at every meal and you write down how you feel right after. And then you write down how you feel two hours later. And that'll really help you to start make correlations with like, 
okay, so my normal breakfast makes me really tired at 10 a.m., but when I try this omelet, I feel energized until lunch, and okay. it helps you correlate things like that, and it'll also, if you write down, like, I broke out today, or I didn't sleep last night, you can look back and start to make those patterns of, well, maybe it was the dairy that made me break out, or mm-hmm. I ate too close to going to bed that made me break or not sleep well or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Um, so writing it down for sure. And then I actually am a fan. I'm not going to say I'm a fan of whole 30. That's another, <laughs> I could go down that snowball effect <laughs> for a while. <laughs> um, but I am a fan of taking different common allergens, mm-hmm. not carbs in general, not mm-hmm whole food groups, but say dairy or gluten Mm -hmm. or alcohol or added sugar or synthetic sugar. I am a fan of taking that out for a week or two, Mm -hmm. seeing how you feel and then gradually adding it back in and seeing how that works. I Mm -hmm. think that's a great way to do that. And then honestly, I'm not going to lie. I'm working with a hormone specialist right now. And I think that working with somebody whether it's a coach um, who you know and trust and is reputable, a doctor, functional nutrition doctor, whatever it may be, is a very good way of doing it because it can be really difficult. I mean, in the coaching world, coaches have coaches and that's because doing it on yourself is very difficult. Whereas having somebody else watch you and be objective about it is a lot simpler and can be a lot quicker. That makes sense. And I think even speaking to the journaling, that's sort of that same idea where you have to take yourself out of it. You have to be objective about it. And that's a great idea. I'm totally, I know I'm going to do that because also having two little ones, it's so much, I always say that to my husband, but there are just times where I feel like, just feel like we're kind of in survival mode or I feel like it's just, oh, I'm hungry. So grab something now or whatever. And stopping and really looking back at it aside from the big picture of, oh, I ate well today or I didn't black and white of it but that's so smart to get a better feel for how I feel right now or and that's for me I think can be great when it comes to why am I even more patient today because I feel more well rested or I'm more energized or whatever the case may be so I love that idea and I'm totally and your website is to kaleenbath.com it's actually my maiden name it's okay. we'll absolutely put that in the notes yeah but it's funny that, uh, well, not funny. I like what you just said about, oh, well, maybe I'm more patient because of that, because that's one of the things that I love learning about and I love talking about is just the correlation between your gut and your emotions and the way you feel in your brain. Because when you write down and journal about what you're eating, you can really see, well, the reason that I've been in such a bad mood is because of X, Y, Z, or because I've been eating a ton of saturated fat. Maybe my anxiety is really high because I've eaten fried foods three days in a row. You can start to make those connections. Mm -hmm. And I think that the journaling about what you're eating, it's important to look at physically how you feel, but also mentally and emotionally Mm -hmm. Um, because they are all very directly related. Big time. And I would argue too on the other end, because when you are in a bad mood or when you have no patience, for me, well, what makes me feel better is a glass of wine or this scoop of edible cookie dough, which I 
knew I shouldn't have bought. <laughs> I stood in the grocery store line and was like, you're going to buy this and then you're going to eat it. You know, that's what's going to happen. But it's just, it, I believe goes both ways when you feel bad for me to like food is because food can be fun and it can be a good thing, but the relationship has to be a healthy one. And I really like the way that you approach that. Yeah. And that is, I completely agree. Food is fun and food is memories. And there are a lot of people out there who are really polar and they're going to say food should not be emotional. Well, Mm. I mean, it is, you know, I, the, when I think about spaghetti, I think about my husband because of things he used to say to me in high school. When I think about ice cream, you know, I think about going out with my grandparents at home and that I don't think is bad. And I don't think we need to take that away from people. That's just being so extreme in the other way, you know, Mm -hmm. be extreme at all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And it's like, that's so countercultural that you're almost setting yourself up for not just the hurdle of changing what you're doing, but then going sort of against the grain so far that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Well, thank you for explaining that. Can you tell me a little bit more about just the book writing process? Because I feel like that, that's so cool to me that you've done that and seems like a whole new world of things you probably had to learn. Oh yeah, (laughs) definitely a learning curve. Um, In terms of actually writing the book. So I, the thing that made me actually follow through and write the book was I was at a holistic health coaching conference in California and we were talking about, you know, you could like go on stage and sort of say what you're doing to um, give other people ideas about how to get their word out and things like that. And I was saying how I was working on talking to sororities about eating disorders in a way that is relatable because I was very young and you know, they would actually take me in. And while I was talking about that at this conference, the um, two ladies who actually began the Health Coach Institute came up to me and told me that I should write a book because that's the best way to really get that out there. And it would be, I mean, I've always known I wanted to write a book, but I was like, I'll write a book when I'm 60 and wise and know everything about life. Right, right. (laughs) But they told me that, which I completely agree with. And they were like, you are the person that needs to write this book because you are so relatable. You just went through that. Mm-hmm. And I, it just clicked and I could not agree more. I actually met a woman at the same conference who was a coach for writers and would help people get published. She was a New York Times bestseller herself. She was on Oprah. She was, I mean, she knew what she was talking about. And I started working with her to write this book. So I worked with her on the business aspect of it, and I worked with one of her partners on the writing and editing process, which was actually really cool and so fun. Um, Also very difficult because in rewriting it, you sort of have to relive it, Mm -hmm. which was interesting to say the least. I could go on about that for a long time, but I wrote the book. I started the book in August and the book was done by the beginning of March. So I had it all in my head and that was a very quick turnaround. Yeah. But I just, like I, it was so meant to be because I knew everything that I wanted to say and it came out so easily. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
the editor that I worked with was incredible and so, so helpful. But yeah, so I was done in March. The book launched in June and I was an Amazon bestseller the day it came out. That's so awesome. Good for you. That's just totally, totally badass. I love that. <laughs> I know when I talk about it, I'm like, that wasn't me. What? No. That's <laughs> <laughs> so cool. So can you tell me what advice you have for, for just fellow military spouses? It can be, it can be health related, but it can be just anything. I feel like you've had so many unique experiences. Yeah, that is a great question. Um, I think that something that is so true for me right now is doing your best to live every day according to what makes you happy. And I think that that's special for a military spouse because we get thrown around, you know, it's not a secret that our life isn't exactly ours and that can be a sad thing or that can be a really cool thing that can help you really look inward and see what makes me happy and what am I doing in my life right now that is actually making me happy or am I kind of, you know, flying by the seat of my pants? Mm -hmm. Because it's so easy to fly by the seat of our pants because like you said, we are here, there, everywhere. And it's so fine to say everything's out of control right now. It's crazy because it would be for anyone. So that's such a good point to just take a minute, look at regardless of where you are, when you're in a hotel in the middle of nowhere on your way to a new house, there are still going to be things that make you happy and things that you can make time for. Absolutely. And even I see it as we get tossed around into different communities. I mean, every three years is pretty frequently Mm -hmm. and it can be hard to really be yourself all the time. I know for myself, it takes me a while to warm up to people and to really I didn't realize this, but it does take me a while to let my guard down. And Mm -hmm. I think that the more you can just be confidently you and authentically yourself, the happier you're going to be instead of trying to please everyone around you and worrying about what other people think about you, which is so much easier said than done. Mm -hmm. But I'm giving advice to myself right now too. (laughs) Oh girl, I do that all the time. I'll hear myself say something on here and be like, that girl knows what she's talking about. She has such a good plan for her life. And (laughs) <laughs> then I get out of here and a toddler spills something and runs into a wall and it starts all over <laughs> but it's true and you're absolutely right and I think that that's for me at least it's sort of each move I get a little better at that and it's never perfect and with each move each experience you know different things that you're right it is so much easier when you're up front and you just are who you are but you also sometimes just want companionship and you just want friendship and so it can be really easy to just say I don't really agree with this or that's not really me but this part's close enough or whatever and and that works too for a while but like you said the way our lifestyle is if you keep doing that you'll look back and that's what you've been doing for how how many years so right yeah I've had that conversation with my husband so many times and he is such a role model role model for me in that way because he just does not give a flying f what people think about him <laughs> I do, and I'm so jealous of that I'm like how though like what how do you do that and he's like you just need to not care what people think and I'm like babe I know but like I don't have that muscle right. 
And yeah, so he, he has taught me so well and he is the most kind, compassionate person. You know, he's not mm-hmm. an asshole about it. He's just himself and mm-hmm. what you get. Yeah. And I strive to be like that. <laughs> yes. I completely feel you there. My, mine is the same way and agreed that I feel like he still always comes off as a good, genuine person, which I think is part of my fear. I always want to I never want to be misinterpreted or give people the wrong impression. And so I maybe try too hard in the other direction, but we also, they go to work, they have this built-in family Mm -hmm. the day they arrive. And so I think that there's a little bit of something there too, that Mm -hmm. yes, we do have this military spouse community, which is amazing, but you have to meet it and you have to make the time for it. And they, they do have a little bit of a luxury and walking in the door and, it is a little more come as you are for them, I guess. Yeah, totally. I completely agree. And they are all in whatever realm of the military they're in. They're all pretty similar in whatever job that they do. And we're not necessarily like that. Not that we need to be. It's great that we're not, but sometimes that can cause a lot of fear with going into a new group of people when you're like, I mean, I know for myself and insecurity of mine, I love the fact that I'm a blogger and influencer. I wrote a book. I'm a coach. I love that about me, mm-hmm. but I know there are so many people who judge me for it and put mm-hmm. this stereotype on me that I'm a certain type of person when I'm absolutely not what they think that I am. Okay. And it, it can be hard to deal with that. And I think that we all deal with that in our own way, which is why just being happy with your own life is what's actually important. That's a great point. And that's such a great example because you are so successful and have done, and you do such great things for, for so many people. And there's still going to be people who stick their nose up at it. And so you're right. Good for you for recognizing the lack of importance of those opinions, but it's, it's never easy to do that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Trying. Right. I get that. Totally. Can you tell me about a fellow mill spouse that has impacted you? Yes, absolutely. I love that you asked that question. I like don't even have to think about it. And I hope that she listens to this, but it's my friend, Katie Ray. She was actually the first military spouse that I was ever friends with, or really met, actually. I met her back in Columbus. Her husband and my husband were in the same UPT class, mm-hmm. and this was back when I was going back and forth visiting Tyler in Columbus and I lived in Florida and my husband took me to their house because we were going to look at what on-base housing looked like and she said that we could come over and take a look at their house and we ended up staying at their house for I kid you not like three hours and we were just talking about everything and she was so so kind and honestly everything I strive to be as another military spouse because if it weren't for her I would have no idea about half the things that I know because my husband sure as hell does not tell me them (laughs) and she was just so helpful and such a kind amazing person she's still one of my greatest friends I work with her a little bit she has um, her and another one of my good friends just started a blog and a podcast called The Women Amidst. And yeah, she's just a very insightful, kind, just fun, loving person that has really made an impact on my life. That's great. 
I love hearing those stories. Yeah. So the next part is just our little bit of rapid fire. First one is your favorite place you've ever lived. Uh, Italy. <laughs> I feel like that's going to be hard to ever beat. <laughs> if you didn't say that, I was going to be really impressed at wherever else you were. I mean, if we could bring Target over here, that there. would be better. But <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So the next question I've been asking people is their first place that they want to travel after COVID. But I know that it's a little bit different for you over there. So I would just say, where's the next place that you want to travel? The next place I want to travel, well, I'm going to London in two weeks, but the next place that I want to travel is Norway. Cool. That's awesome. Have you been to London before? I have. Yeah. But my husband hasn't. So it'll be fun to be there with him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I studied abroad there. That was where like, I kind of was based and I loved it so much. So pretty. That's one. Yeah, I was gonna say it's pretty easy to immerse yourself, and aside from you know the blonde thing and everything, but get a leather backpack and whatever, and it's pretty easy to (laughs) convince yourself you're British. Yeah. So, what's your favorite way to waste time? My favorite way to waste time. That's a great question. I love listening to podcasts. Great. I know, right? I'm in the right spot. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny too, because I love it as well. And oddly, having started one in the midst of COVID, it's been so much harder for me to listen to them because I'm not in the car. I'm, my girls are home all the time. It's like, I, as someone who's making one, I still find myself missing them because I just don't get to listen to as many as I want to. But yeah, my husband never listens to them. And I listen to them in the car. I listen to them while I work. I listen to them cook yeah, yeah I love exactly and I think there's something that's perhaps a I don't know a positive or a flaw but something about my personality type that doing more than one thing at a time makes me so happy anytime <laughs> I can be multitasking is great and that's where podcasts are just the best because even like if I'm folding laundry or something or whatever like if the tv's not going or if there's not dual things happening but <laughs> I was just gonna say I love to read and I love to like learn uh-huh. like I'm kind self-improvement junkie but you obviously can't read and do other things so I'm like I'm gonna make dinner and learn about hormones with this podcast (laughs) (laughs) exactly it's so true it's completely true the funny thing about how much I'm enjoying doing this podcast I think partly is because it makes me stop and do one thing at a time like when I'm talking to you just being fully engaged with people I'm recognizing I'm so bad about outside of this and so hopefully it will kind of trickle into other, other parts of my life. But even my husband and I, you know, when we have date nights or sometimes we'll have like stay at home date nights or it's like, we have to like put phones way elsewhere because otherwise it's just a quick thing here and there, but then you're to have the actual quality conversation. Sometimes you, it's kind of sad how hard you have to work for it because there's so many ways to be doing something else. But honestly though, I mean, I love technology, but I also hate it because it's mm-hmm. like, When's the last time you went for a walk with nothing? Oh, I know. I have no idea. (laughs) It would have been because like I was lost or my car broke. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't on purpose. (laughs) Right. Right. And especially I would say too, like for you with so much of your, your work being online and on social media right now too, and everything that even just with this podcast, sometimes I find myself hopping on to do something related to that, but it never ends there. And then you're in a rabbit hole for who knows how long, but yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, <laughs> I fully feel you. So can you tell me what you think is the biggest challenge of military spouse life? The biggest challenge? Well, I don't know if it's the biggest challenge, but I guess one of the first things that comes to my mind is, and maybe this could be a personal thing, but I feel like maybe other people would relate to me, is sometimes I get really internally defensive when people talk about military <laughs> or the world or, you know, I, yeah, I just think as spouses, we see how hard our husbands work for the good of our country. And yeah, I think it's just something I've never dealt with before. And it's not something I like fight with people about it. I never really speak up about it. I just have these internal thoughts of like, do you know what my husband does every day for you? Like, you know, okay. things like okay. that. Yeah, I don't know if that's the biggest challenge, but I guess that's just one of the first things that I think sure. of. Sure, and that's just people like speaking out against the military kind of thing? Yes, and just, I don't know, ignorance. I think right. a lack of pride for our country and gotcha. mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about military spouse life? My favorite thing is I like moving around. I like the, I like being immersed into different areas of the world, of our country, like learning different things, really getting to live a very full and abundant life. Absolutely. I mean, there's no way I would be living in Italy if it wasn't for him. I don't think I would have done that. Sure, sure. That's absolutely one of my favorite parts where only now starting our girls are getting nervous about when they get a little older and that starts to really kind of be more have more of an impact on them because we've had so much fun with all the moving that uh that'll be an unnecessary time at some point but for now we're just loving it too it's so fun to just we haven't left the country which we would love to do someday it, odds are slim but even just different parts of this country it's cool to feel like when we retire we have like a taste of everywhere and can kind of get an idea of where we want to be and Right. I mean, you know exactly what you want in your house now, what yes. you don't want. <laughs> That's what I always say. Like, I will have the perfect house when it's all said and done because everyone, you're like, this, not this, this, not this. Yeah. And I know we were just like making fun of Alamogordo, but also I did love my time there because yeah. when else would I live in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico next to White Sands National Park? Like, that was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, the small towns were, it was such an experience. And mm -hmm. even though I, it was like, so not something I would have chosen for myself. I still loved it. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. That was us in the desert. And I feel like we, which I think you hear a lot about, but when you're in those smaller, more remote bases, I think a lot of times those for us, it's just such strong friendships are formed because in part you haven't hardly anything else to do. <laughs> you have a lot more wine nights or game nights or whatever, because it's so far to the next thing and then you end up really forging some pretty awesome friendships almost in spite of your location yeah i totally agree thanks so much to diana again for sharing a bit of her story with us I do think that there can be a bit of a stigma surrounding the concept of an Instagram influencer. And Diana is a really excellent example of the depth and sincerity that can be found in that realm. You can follow her on Instagram at 
to Kaylin back and be sure to check the show notes for info on her website and her book. Have a great week.